again and thank you for joining us for another edition of the HR Grapevine podcast. My name is Kieran Howells. I am your host for today and I am joined by Luke Hicks of Cornerstone. Luke has worked in the industry for many, many years and has seen amazing transformation and change happen in innumerable businesses. And that's exactly what we're going to be getting into today. Basically, how you can ensure that your talent is as agile and that your business is as agile as it can be and that you're viewing people transformation, career paths and the future of your business as intelligently and as complexly as you should be. It's going to be a really fantastic conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. So let's get on with the episode. My name's Luke Hicks. I work for an organisation called Cornerstone that is a market leader in talent management software or talent experience software, as we probably refer to more today. I've been in HR technology for over 15 years now and worked at a whole myriad of organisations. Today, I lead one of our UK sales teams. Um, and so my day-to-day life is spent dealing with clients who have you know, talent, talent mobility challenges. And I've been doing that for a very long time. So hopefully some of that experience comes out in the conversation. But more so is super relevant because I'm having, you know, 10, 20 conversations with different clients a week about some of the problems that they're dealing with in terms of the talent space. So um, I look forward to having this conversation with you. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for being here, Luke. Uh, yeah, it is really interesting to hear your insight on some of these things. And it seems like there's always something interesting happening at Cornerstone. So recently you released your Talent Health Index report. Can you tell us a little bit about that? We did. So the Talent in Health Index is, is a report that we've released recently, but the maturity model is actually something that we've been using for a long time. So the concept of that is that there's really there's four components of a talent maturity model, and they start with foundational, administrative, sophisticated, and transformative. And what we do when we start to work with organizations is look at where they are on that kind of pendulum. And what we found from our research of working with about 700 organizations is actually quite encouraging. I was surprised by how advanced the market is in terms of where they are in their talent sophistication of processes is that on average, the organizations that we surveyed scored 87.6, which wouldn't mean much without context, but it really means that they sit right on the cusp of administrative going into sophisticated. So they're, they're almost sort of halfway along that pendulum. And that means that they're already doing things around you know, culture and technology, skills and strategy. They have L&D processes in place. They're perhaps doing some things on their content strategy. They're thinking about talent maturity and talent mobility. And I believe that that has evolved rapidly in the last three or four years. So if you think about our working practices, probably 40 years prior to the pandemic, we'd been evolving slowly. But largely, if you walked into an office in in London in, in 2019, it wouldn't look all that different in 1980. But in the last four years, rather than evolution, we've really seen revolution. And I think that that sort of kicked organizations at the backside a little bit and accelerated some of their their strategies around talent talent mobility you know we've obviously had to adopt a 
remote working, but that's empowered organizations to hire from everywhere. So it really means they can think about the skills that they desire and need and where they can be based and opens their talent pool to a much wider net. So the um, the talent maturity uh, model that we've put together is really based on trying to find a talent health index so that organizations can know where they are. It's hard to transform until you really have got that baseline information of where are we at today and we're honest with ourselves. It's so interesting to hear you say that comment about you know how far the office has has progressed in the last four years versus the last 40 or something it's it's fascinating because it really does put into context all that has happened in that time and I guess it has been kind of dizzying I'm really interested in you know you said that you're you're speaking to people you're kind of on the front line what are some of the things from that piece of research that that really stood out to you and jumped out at you uh, and kind of made you think yeah it's really it's a great question so some of the common themes that are probably obvious but but still have a huge impact when you look at them is how much the kind of power has shifted if you think of the workplaces of old and i just mentioned back to 1918 you probably go further than that you know things that were common in the corporate workplace were hierarchy you know upper management would hold the information they wouldn't disclose much about strategy and where we were changing and your progression in an organization was almost prescribed to you or dictated to you based on an annual performance review with a huge amount of competencies and competency assessments and frameworks around that and if you happen to be performing well in that particular window and the right opportunity opened for you then you could progress upwards in the hierarchy of the organization and i think what's happened in the last few years is just employees don't want that anymore you know one we're not all obsessed with hierarchical progress we want work-life balance we want fulfillment we want all of these things from employment that perhaps we didn't put front of front of center a while ago and that's meant that employees have to kind of move away from hierarchical leadership they have to be truly transparent in the way that they communicate the change that's going in and they have to tell the organization where we are against the competitive landscape what we have to do to evolve and out innovate our competition and that really starts with you know, disclosing the skills strategy, identifying what skills we have and telling you the sort of skills that would be beneficial in this organization. And a lot of that puts the power in the employee's hands to come and tell you what their ambitions are, what sort of skills they like developing, what sort of skills they've perhaps developed outside of work. It's not always the skills that we develop in work anymore. So, you know, everyone's familiar with the 70-20-10 model. Actually, I think that's changed because I think that people are going home and they're studying, they're taking accountability for their own development. They're learning about crypto finance in their, you know, in their study on their weekends at home rather than having to come and do all of their development work. And so there's been this huge shift where employees, I think, are empowered, but also take a control of their own destiny. This is where I want to go. I perhaps don't want to move up the hierarchy. I see myself moving into marketing and out of sales or perhaps moving into a project role. And we've had to adapt. And that's where Cornerstone comes in is we try to provide technology today that's not about top down, where we prescribe a career to you. It's about bottom up and giving the employees the transparency of opportunity within the organization and hopefully giving them the tools to drive their own mobility. And I think that's the biggest shift that we've seen in the recent uh, Talent Health Index is that organizations are having to shift from top down to bottom up, if, if that makes any sense, Kieran. It definitely does. And it's so true. It, it, you know, it's again, it's fascinating to hear you kind of 
um, summarize this this key shift because it really does put it into perspective. And it, it, it's so interesting that so many organizations are having to view talent differently and that linear career path that so many are used to just doesn't exist anymore, does it? It's It's so different. But then I was speaking to someone recently who said, this is how you get insightful leaders is by not having them follow this prescribed path, but having them move around an organization and learn different skills and pick different things up and see different perspectives. Absolutely. You know, something that we try and promote at Cornerstone, we have a graduate uh, scheme where we work with Pareto quite closely and um, we bring them into our organization super early as soon as they as soon as they finish university. But we keep them in education. So, yes, they're doing a lot of on the job work, but they're having the opportunity to work in different segments within our business and pick up different mentors along the way, learn different skills, understand our organization from the inside rather than having one linear view in a, in a particular role. And that seems to work really well. And if I think about me, it's always easy to use yourself as an example. I'm not a graduate. I didn't go to university. And what that meant, though, is that I was able to enter the workplace probably three or four years sooner. So by the time I was 18, I was already working in a tech sales role. So it meant that I had a maturity probably a little bit earlier in terms of professional and corporate maturity than I perhaps would have if I'd have followed the traditional route of going through extended education. Now, what that meant for me, though, is that opportunities to move up the hierarchy presented themselves earlier, but before I had the personal maturity. So, you know, if I think about my home life, I could have moved into management positions long before I got married and become a dad. But I wasn't ready for that because your personal life is taxing sometimes, you know, sleepless nights with your first babies is a huge learning journey. And if you've got a huge high pressure management role, it's difficult for you to truly be present in both of them. And I'm a big believer that if you're going to do anything well, you have to have presenteeism, presenteeism at home, presenteeism at work. And I think what the what the new model that we're shifting to about bottom-up allows us to do is to take the right roles when they're right for us, rather than feeling like we're on a hamster wheel, that we have to jump when the organisation needs us to take that role. So having transparency, having fluidity, allows us to dip our toe in the water, perhaps take a project when we're feeling good about ourselves and we want to stretch our capability, we want to take on more responsibility, but not being committed to leap into a VP of sales role right at the time when you know we're just about to have a new baby, for example, and I know that I've got nine months of sleepless nights ahead of me. Mm-hmm. So I think the world is evolving in the corporate world and the professional world for the better, um, and it's definitely putting more power in the employees' hands to make decisions that are right for them at the time when it's, when it's right for them. Well, Luke, I think you just made a fantastic case for why internal mobility and the view of career paths is so, so important and, and needs really intelligent consideration. I guess the the other side of that coin is for organisations. How can they improve their own internal career mobility opportunities for their staff? Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, you you have to break down the silos, right? You you have to understand how you can cross-pollinate talent across your business. So to move away from this linear hierarchical moves, you want to identify skills in your organization. I think retail is a really easy example. If you take a look at some of the really large high street retailers, the brands that we'll always know, particularly the supermarkets, they have hundreds of thousands of employees and generally about 30% of their workforce are still in higher education. Now, they'll be coming into their stores and working evenings and weekends while they try and fund their education. 
But actually, what the what the um, the retailers don't always focus on is the skills that they're developing outside of work. And whilst they took that role to go and work for Tesco or Sainsbury's or, or whichever retailer they they happen to invest in at that time, they perhaps didn't think consciously about a career in retail because they don't see all of the opportunity it presents in the back office. So perhaps being the next CFO, CFO of the largest retailer in the UK, or perhaps going and working in um, a tech role within one of those retailers. And what organizations have to do better is break down the barriers between what I'm doing in my personal life, what skills and aspirations you have and what you can bring to the organization and promote the roles that they have internally. So I don't think we do enough of that is organizations need to get better at saying, right, perhaps you're in a role today which doesn't sit as an obvious successor to go in and working in our marketing team or in our sales leadership team. But you have the, the core principles and the core skills that show that if you come on a journey with us and you develop and you, you're aligned to the right mentors, that you have a huge long-term potential um, to follow your career within this organization without having to go externally and move into a different industry. And I think I use retail as the example there, but that's the same for finance, for business services, for any industry, you know, all across the sectors. We need to break down the barriers between what skills our employees have either in work or out of work, what are their ambitions and align them to mentors that perhaps they wouldn't normally run into in the workplace to allow them to have a really clear pathway to develop their skills at the right time for us as the employer, but also at the pace that suits them so that we can build future talent for the long term, rather than making you know short term decisions to hire someone from a subject matter expert to a people manager, because that's the easiest thing to do today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's interesting to hear of of retail as a perfect example there, because it's obviously a challenge in a retail space to find those mentors and to, you know, to, to get people to move around the organization. Obviously, it, incredibly valuable and worth doing, but probably quite a challenge. I'm really interested in what kinds of organizations have really succeeded at doing this, you know, that you've seen from your experience? Yeah, really great question. So one of the industries that I think has had to go through a revolution rather than an evolution in in recent times is legal. So legal is one of the most traditional sectors we have in this country. And actually, if you go pre-pandemic, they felt like a very traditional sector. You know, you would walk into a legal organisation in the city who was in one of the you know a magic a magic circle lawyers, and they would feel traditionally in all of their work practices from the early morning starts into the office to the three piece suits to the constant um, the, the 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 constant ringing of the phones. They felt like a very traditional organisation. Now, what's happened is that they've realised that over the pandemic, remote working has given people more flexibility, more fluidity, and that employee engagement has become a really key part of the role. And so some of their best lawyers, perhaps when they um, perhaps perhaps when they peak in their career, they then want to go off and start a family and traveling into London or traveling into Manchester or any of the big cities across the UK every day to work 60 hour jobs is no longer something that asserts their personal life. And the pandemic allowed them to see that. And so legal have had to really find a new way to engage talent, retain talent and offer them alternative working opportunities to keep the best people within their practice. Because if they don't, the competition will outperform in terms of talent attraction and they'll lose what is essentially their IP. If you think about a legal business and they're not the only the only sector that has this, their people are their intellectual property. Those skills and those fee earners 
are what keep the wheels and the revenue moving in that organization. And I think over the last sort of 18 months to two years, we've probably worked with 15 or 20 legal organizations that are moving to a model that is not just about forcing learning and development because compliance or CPD mandates it, but is about implementing a fluidity around talent mobility and upskilling that allows the employee to say, hey, do you know what? I don't want to be a 60 or 70 hour a week fee earner right now. I want the opportunity to take my foot off the pedal a little bit and perhaps stay within the organization, but to move into a less pressure role. Perhaps I can do advisory services. Perhaps I can do consulting with some of our, some of our clients, but I want to step away from what I've been doing for the last few years. And they want to retain that knowledge within the organization. And I think legal really gets that. And I think the pressure to out-innovate the competition is making sure that the C-suite is invested in this method. And so from the top down, they are starting to say, we need to do more around talent mobility. That's a sector that particularly stands out to me in the last couple of years. Mm. And I guess the other thing that I'm I'm kind of fascinated in, in the division in, you know, who is doing well and who is not maybe there yet is the the size of organizations as well. I mean, that must be a huge factor in the, you know, the, the, um, the career mobility piece. So I guess we've kind of talked a lot about the, probably the bigger companies. What about those mid market or below companies? Are they probably have less resource, but more agile or what, you know, what's the deal there? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question because actually that's where I spend most of my time is working with organizations from about 5,000 employees, which is still relatively big, right down to maybe a a couple of a hundred. And talent mobility is certainly on their agenda. Look, even even though we're in a down market right now, it's still very difficult to go and hire the best people and you still have to pay a premium to do that. And the smaller organizations or the mid-sized organizations, one, have the agility to make change quicker. They're generally very aspirational. You know, if you go and talk to a smaller company, particularly those that are in aspirational industries, you know, we're forever talking to fintech companies or consulting companies, um, uh, particularly around sustainability. For example, at the moment, you see a lot of growth in that market. These organizations that have three, four, five hundred employees, or even a couple of thousand, they don't have ambitions to stay there. They want to be 20,000 employees. And so they're trying to implement a process that allows them to attract the best people, but also develop them and progress that knowledge in the business. When you go and work with larger organizations, whilst they absolutely have a huge opportunity in terms of talent mobility, because there's so much opportunity to move, of course, that comes with more red tape. It's more difficult to change. It's harder to implement culture shifts. Mm -hmm. And so we see a huge demand from those mid-sized organizations who are trying to set their stall out from the beginning. They almost have a clean sheet of paper because most of them are only a few years old. They haven't really defined their culture yet in terms of talent management. And so they're setting out from the beginning a true talent marketplace, which says, if you want to come and enter our organization, sure, you're starting in this role today, but you have the potential and capability to go anywhere as we grow. Most growing businesses, they're built on SME knowledge. The way that they grow, evolve and continue to drive success is by identifying the best people who built the culture and built the successful processes early and sharing that knowledge and repeating it with all of their new hires, trying to hold on to that DNA as they grow. And so we work with a lot of organizations with a couple of hundred, couple of thousand employees that are really from the beginning implementing a culture of 
You're coming here to learn, develop your skills and move into another role. And we're not going to dictate to you what that role is. That will present itself as we grow and you'll be part of that journey. But we want you to put your hand up and continue working to skills that you feel are aspirational and will help you follow the path that, that's right for you. So I think that's a really, really good question. And I don't see um, a huge difference in the desire to implement better talent mobility processes, whether you're 50,000 employees or you're, you're 200. I think the skills-led agenda is something that's sponsored from the very top of every company, and you're seeing it weaved into business strategy throughout. So hopefully that answers your question. It does. It does. And again, that's that's interesting to hear you say that the ethos behind this kind of mindset is not defined by any factor that, that sets your business apart from others, that actually that agile mindset or that future ready mindset should be in everyone's minds in this equation. What I would say is great about mid-sized and smaller organizations is almost by default, your employees have to wear multiple hats. You know, Mm -hmm. generally they're not big enough to have a resource for every single role and subject that you might need. And so it gives people to learn more skills, practice more roles. So you might be, um, you might be a sales engineer and implementation delivery. Um, you might be a tech resource and a project manager. And so what that allows them to do is to, um, rather than run steam ahead into one particular position or, or expertise, is to wear those multiple hats and perhaps do a gig or a project and say, well, I'm going to second onto this particular large client project and implementation for the next three months. And if I like it and I develop the right skills, perhaps that's something I can continue or I can go back into wearing my other hat. And I think that mid-sized organizations are getting better about efficiently using the people resources that they have rather than having to hire every time something crops up where they feel like they need a skill or resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great mindset to have. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you one last question, Luke, and I'm gonna put you on the spot here. If you could offer one piece of advice for someone who is listening to this and is keen to adopt the, you know, the the kind of mindset that we've been talking about, what is the one piece of advice that you give them? Where should they start? What's that one piece of advice? Yeah, I I love that question. So I would empower a culture of knowledge sharing and mentorships. So the best organizations, the high performing organizations we go and meet, they have this culture where everyone takes responsibility for sharing their knowledge with others and mentoring those that are maybe one or two steps behind. And if you can achieve that in any size organization, you're on to success where every employee that's within your business takes responsibility for the mentoring of others and feels comfortable promoting and sharing their knowledge. That's a culture that drives success. And so if you can achieve that at 50,000 employees or 200 employees, you'll definitely continue to grow with an organization that organically develops good talent and creates the skills at the pace in which you need them. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Luke. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed it too. Thanks for having me, Kieran. Well, there you have it. Hopefully that was as fascinating and insightful for you as it was for me. I want to say a huge thank you to Luke Hicks for being on the podcast this week and a huge thank you to Cornerstone as well for sponsoring this week's podcast. 
We'll be back with another edition very soon. And until then, look after yourselves. <laughs>